You're listening to the Angels and Awakening podcast, and I'm your host, Julie Jancis. I have the gift of connecting with your angels and loved ones on the other side. The intention of every podcast episode and every service that I offer is to help you heal, to help you raise your vibration, and to give you the tools you need to help others. Why? Because when you take responsibility for your own healing and your own joy, and you use what you've learned to serve others, you're helping to shift the vibration on earth to a place of more peace. And isn't that what it's all about? If you feel called to work with me, we have many services available to you. We offer a new online e-course with a new topic every month. These help you dive deeper on your spiritual journey. We also offer an Angel Reiki certification training program. We call it the Angel School. It's held every other month in person and twice a year online. Here, you'll become a certified Angel Reiki master teacher and develop your spiritual gifts. Twice a month, we offer a live online group Reiki healing session. You just call into a webinar number and listen as I guide you through a healing session with the angels. You can also book a one-on-one angel message reading with me. You help keep this podcast going, friends, when you book one or more of these services on my website, www.jancis.com. That's my last name, .com. Stay tuned at the end of this podcast to hear all about the freebies we offer as well and how you can win a free session. Hello, friends. Today we have a brand new angel story from a book by Joan Wester Anderson. I am so very grateful to the publisher of this book, Loyola Press in Chicago, Illinois, who's kindly given us permission to share this story from her book. In the show notes, you'll find a link to buy Joan's book on Amazon and a link to the publishing house. Speaking of publishing angel stories, we're putting together a book of your angel stories to present to a publisher. If you have an angel story that you'd like to share, whether it's a person on earth who came out of nowhere to help you in your time of need, or a presence that you felt from beyond, or your angels on the other side sending you signs that they're at peace and helping you from heaven, or even an animal angel story. We'd love to share your stories because they inspire hope, faith, and more peace in this world. Please write out those stories in as much detail as possible and email them to me at juliejancis at gmail.com. This story is called Perfect Timing. And it's from Joan's book, Where Miracles Happen, True Stories of Heavenly Encounters. It starts out with a quote before you get to the story. And that quote says, If our daily walk with the Lord is to be a close and intimate relationship, then we must share all things with Him. And I would add, and her, no matter how ordinary. Mary Mathewson, a reader from ADA, Ohio. My friends, as we read through this story, they refer to God as he, but I don't believe that God is he. I don't believe that God is a being just like we are in this physical form of male or female. 
I believe that God is both male and female. So just know that those are my beliefs, but as we read this story, people use words in different ways. So the story begins, how do we know when God answers a prayer? Rarely does he communicate with trumpet blasts or skywriting. However, there are those moments when a response is so immediate, so explicit, that it couldn't be anyone but God. As a single parent, Deborah B. struggled to raise a small daughter in a one-bedroom apartment in suburban Chicago. To supplement her salary, she made health food dinners for friends. Her client base grew as satisfied customers spread the word about Deborah's tasty menus. Deborah dreamed of expanding, but she would need a second bedroom for an office, plus an apartment manager who would let her install a second refrigerator. Both seemed impossible goals. She couldn't afford more than $650 a month rent, too modest for the area she had in mind. Buying a second refrigerator would take all of her savings. Was it too risky? Deborah talked it over with God. God, if you want me to do this, you'll have to figure it out, she prayed. Soon, Deborah found an apartment complex in a perfect location, but the two-bedroom rent were too expensive. She kept looking and praying, and occasionally she checked back with the complex. You're in luck, the rental agent told her one day. Because of renovations, we're lowering rents on all two-bedroom units for the next six months. How much will they be? Deborah scaredly dared to ask. $650, the agent answered. Deborah was almost convinced that this was God's answer, but there was one more thing. So I'm expanding my home business, she told the agent. I'm going to need an apartment with two refrigerators. Two refrigerators? The woman laughed. That's just about impossible, but let me see what I can do. Deborah went home, almost afraid to hope, but the next day the agent phoned. This is odd, Deborah, she began. Remember I told you we're in the middle of a huge remodeling job? Deborah remembered. Well, we ordered 220 new refrigerators. Yesterday they delivered 221. It will be cheaper for us to put the extra in your apartment than to send it back. Deborah's business thrived, thanks to prayers answered at just the right time. This chapter is broken down into other smaller stories. Here's the next story. My nephew, Tom Anderson, also received a heavenly go-ahead at one point in his career. As a cabinet maker, working for others for several years, he had decided to go solo. He wanted to do the kind of fine woodcrafting that satisfies him right down to his soul. But searching for customers, meeting his overhead, and doing the work itself took more time than Tom had figured. He also grappled with tax forms, bookkeeping, and a slew of new responsibilities he neither wanted nor enjoyed. His dream was rapidly turning into an exhausting treadmill. One morning as he sped along to an appointment, Tom found himself rethinking his plans. Had he made the right decision? He had prayed about it beforehand and felt sure that God approved, but now he was having second thoughts. God I'm overwhelmed, he said. Should I go back to a safe 9-to-5 job without all this worry? Please tell me what you want me to do. 
Just then, Tom passed a parked police car and realized with a sinking heart that he was going at least 25 miles over the speed limit. In his rearview mirror, he saw the car move out and flash its lights. Great. Tom pulled over, slumped, dejectedly, in the seat. Not only would he be even later to his appointment, he sure had his answer now. How much more negative a signal could God send? The officer approached Tom's truck, ticket book in hand. License and registration, please. Yes, sir. Tom didn't even put up a defense. He was so disappointed at the thought of giving up his goals that he barely glanced at the officer until a moment or two had passed. Then he realized the officer was looking at his tools stacked in the front seat because he didn't yet have a cover for the bed of his new truck. The policeman gestured at them. What do you do for a living? He asked. I'm a cabinet maker, Tom answered, wondering what that had to do with the traffic stop. The officer handed Tom his license without a ticket. Go slower next time, he said, and wear your seatbelt. Tom could hardly believe it, but the officer wasn't finished. He leaned against Tom's truck. I moonlight as a general contractor, he said, and I've got 16 custom kitchens and 15 bathrooms that all need cabinets right now. Think you'd be interested? It was a real answer, just what I had asked for, Tom said today. God was saying, keep going, but slow down. I know he'll always give me the direction I need. The next story says, 18-year-old Marcy Vance had an unfathomable home situation. Things had always been painful between her and her adoptive father. Now he was demanding that she get a job and move out. I was young and scared and I hadn't landed anything yet, Marcy explained. Tensions grew. Finally, Marcy found a job, but it required her to wear gray slacks and a white blouse every day. She had enough money to buy the blouse, but not the slacks. And there was no use asking her father to help. He was already angry. If you don't start work right away, you're out of here, he told her one morning. Marcy felt completely abandoned. What would become of her if she was thrown out of her own house? It was drizzling, and she walked aimlessly, letting tears come out. Eventually, she sat down on a wall across from school. God, what am I going to do? She prayed. Please help me. A short time later, Marcy glanced up at a beautiful rainbow arching across the sky. A powerful peace came over me, she said. I felt like I had nothing to worry about. Heartened, she walked over to her her aunt Pam's house. Moments before Marcy arrived, a friend of Pam's had stopped in to drop off some garments for the clothing drive at Pam's church. Marcy, see if there's anything you want in that pile before I pack it, Pam suggested. There was two pairs of attractive gray slacks that fit her perfectly. Here's the next story. Shirley W.'s husband was dying of kidney disease, and the family was experiencing extreme financial difficulties. One of Shirley's friends had given her some cucumbers and other garden vegetables that morning. That morning, Shirley washed the vegetables and thought about the big salad that she would make for dinner. She hoped it would fill up her family because there wasn't going to be much else on the table. She would have loved to make some pickles from the cucumbers too, but that would require dill. And she had none and no way to buy any. 
Abruptly, she stopped before slipping into sadness. God, I thank you for all the blessings you have given us, she prayed, and forget I said anything about the dill. Shirley had learned that praising God during difficult times often banished the sorrow that she would otherwise feel. That afternoon, Shirley's husband had a doctor's appointment, so he and Shirley left their 18-year-old son, Kenny, in charge and went into the office. While they were gone, the doorbell rang, and Kenny answered. A man stood at the door holding a box of groceries. Is this the W house? he asked. Yes. Kenny couldn't stop looking at the box. There was cereal in it and meat and milk. Then come help me, the man said. Setting down the box on the front porch, he turned around and went down the steps. Kenny noticed an old car parked in front of the house. Wait a minute, he called. The man kept walking. Startled, Kenny followed him out to the car. There in the trunk were four more large boxes filled to the brim with groceries. Kenny was acquainted with the family's financial problems. Listen, minister, he said, I think you have the wrong house. My parents, I don't think they bought all of this. The man lifted a box. Help me carry them in, he told Kenny, as if he expected to be obeyed. Kenny grabbed a box. Maybe my friend was sending something, but who would send so much? And he had never seen this man before. Ah, uh, would you mind telling me your name, he asked, depositing the box on the porch and hurried to catch up with the stranger. The man smiled at Kenny. You don't need my name, he said. I'm just going about my father's business. Ah, uh, but who's your father, Kenny asked. He carried the last box onto the porch and set it down. There was no answer. Kenny turned and the hair on the back of his neck stood up. The man was gone. Kenny looked at the street. The old car was gone too. Honestly, Mom, I didn't hear him go. He couldn't have gotten away that quickly. Kenny tried to explain it all when his folks got home. But when his mom looked at the largest box, grateful tears sprang into her eyes. In an instant, she understood just who had provided for the family that day and who would never abandon them. Lying on top of the groceries was a package of dill. The next mini story in this chapter says, One cold, overcast Saturday morning, freelance writer Sue Markgraf sat staring blankly at the TV. The children were occupied and there were notes on her computer for the next writing project that she should really get on with. But a combination of fatigue and discouragement kept her from moving. Were her efforts really leading anywhere? Would she ever really make a difference through her work? Suddenly, an intense ray of light streamed through the window in front of her. It was a brilliant, almost white, as if the very air itself were glowing from within. But how? The other windows still looked out on gray and gloom. Where was this light source? I wanted to shield my eyes and look away, but I couldn't see, she says. I shifted on the sofa, but the light seemed to follow me. This was no ordinary sunbeam. Then, in the center of this radiance, Sue saw a shadowy figure. She was drawn to its warmth, compelled to watch it. Although she didn't hear actual words, she felt the figure speak to her. Go back to your story, it said. Peace is coming. Awed, Sue drank in the light. She felt unworthy of its presence, yet exalted at the same time. I force myself to continue looking, to continue feeling, she said. 
until the figure and the light shimmered, then faded away. Since that time, Sue has continued to struggle with the meaning of that blissful vision, but she does feel more confident about her work and about God's plan for her. I know there is a greater force that has an incredible investment in me, she says. It pushes me constantly, yet it comforts me. I pray that it stays by my side always. The next mini-story in this chapter says, Kathy and Bill Colby were late for dinner at her sister's house. Hurried and preoccupied, Kathy laid her key ring on the roof of the car, then strapped their 10-month-old into his seat. Let's go. Bill dashed out the front door and leaped into the driver's seat. Kathy scooted into the passenger side, forgetting her keys, and they sped off. Approaching the freeway, they tore down the entrance ramp. Just then, they heard something fly off the roof of the car and hit the pavement with a jangly crash. What was that? Bill asked. Oh, no! My keys! Kathy worked two part-time jobs, and all her business keys, as well as her house keys and car keys, were on that ring. While she explained, Bill drove 65 miles an hour. I'm going to get off at the next exit, go back, go down to that entrance ramp again, he decided. It's still light out. We can park and look for the keys. When they returned to the ramp, Bill pulled onto the shoulder, got out, and walked ahead, looking near the curb. Kathy got out too and searched a wider area. What an evening, she thought. They were late. She was going to have trouble duplicating all those keys. And now the baby was starting to cry. Tentatively, Kathy looked up at the sky. If anyone can hear me, she murmured, well, I need some help. She glanced back at the baby and froze astonished. At that moment, Bill turned and saw the same thing. On the roof of her car sat the keys. Impossible. The roof sloped with no protective lip or rim. Both had heard the keys fall, and neither had seen anything on the roof when they got out of the car. Yet there they were, as if placed by a loving parent to whom no request is too small. And here's the final story in this chapter. Doris Neal Johnson came out of her woman's specialty store in Spencer, Iowa, into freezing temperatures and a sudden blizzard. Although night had not fallen, it was almost impossible to see because of a condition known as a whiteout. Doris drove in a familiar shortcut through a sparsely populated area, but the road was barely visible and she felt completely lost. Soon she decided to abandon the car and walk. It can't be more than a mile, she told herself. I'll be safer feeling my way on foot than possibly having a traffic accident. But just a few moments passed before Doris realized she had made a major mistake. It was getting dark and the swirling snow blinded her, making her feel dazed and disoriented. Her light gray coat blended with the landscape, and the snow was far deeper than she had anticipated. What if she fell and hurt herself? In this deserted area, she could freeze before anyone saw her. God, send help, Doris prayed out loud. She took another few steps. It was hopeless. She could neither move nor see. Her panic grew. Then she heard a man shouting, This way! Keep coming! Who was calling? Where was he? Here, come, come. 
The voice sounded as if it knew what it was doing. Doris prayed for strength and followed it. Turn right just a little. That's it. That's it. The voice was somewhat distorted by the wind, but at least she was no longer alone in this terrible night. Come on now. He sounded closer. Doris struggled one painful step at a time, and at last she could see lamplight in the window of a house just ahead and a man standing in an open doorway. You've done it, the man said delightedly as she collapsed at the door. The couple had already drawn their drapes against the windy draft. They told Doris later, We wouldn't have opened them again tonight. But, well, it's strange, the man tried to explain. We had this odd, sudden impulse to look at the storm again. He had just opened the drapes, and he thought he saw something moving and called just in case. Doris didn't think of it as odd at all. She had prayed, hadn't she? My friends, angel stories are all around every single day. All we have to do is open up our hearts to the unexpected miracles that God is trying to bring into our lives right here, right now. A big thanks again to author Joan Wester Anderson and Loyola Press for allowing us to share this angel story from her book. View the show notes for a link to all of Joan's angel books on Amazon. Beautiful souls, we have so many freebies to help serve you, your family, and friends. Want a weekly message from your angels emailed to you? Sign up on my website to receive a weekly message of love, hope, and healing from the angels. Do you have a prayer request? Go to the homepage of my website and submit your prayer request so that our team of prayer warriors can be praying for you daily. Want to learn more about the angels and energy healing? Subscribe to my YouTube channel called Julie Jancis to learn more about the angels, energy healing techniques, and so much more. One of the biggest things we hear from our listeners is that they have no one to talk to about their spiritual awakening. We created a private Facebook group called the Angels and Awakening Podcast Tribe so that you could connect with others like you and know that you're not alone. So be sure to join this group on Facebook to get the support you need. Want a free session? We plan to give away over 240 free sessions with students in the Angel School per year. To win a free session, subscribe and rate this podcast five stars. Then write a positive review and email us a screenshot. That way, we know who to contact when you win. Want to share your uplifting angel story on the podcast? Because we love sharing them. Please write down your angel story and email it to us. Don't forget, be an angel and share this podcast with someone who needs it. See you back here next time for another episode of the Angels and Awakening podcast.